guest preacher two weeks in a row. And so we're delighted to have Rome here. And then uh, Chris will be preaching next week. And then I'll be back in the pulpit uh, following that. And so thankful for these men uh, giving me some time out of the pulpit. And uh, yeah, excited to hear from Rome this morning. So. Hello, hello. Y'all done messed up, you feel me? You really messed up. City Hall Fellowship, what's going on? Oh, I forgot what he mashed. Hey, the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. Somebody know that God is good? All the time. And all the time, God is good. Did I switch the order there? I don't know. Amen, no, you feel me? You feel me? Amen. God is good. I'm excited to be back. You know what I'm saying? Josh, he tried to get rid of me. You feel me? But you know, so we back with a double header this time. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, came through. And I just wanted to continue where we was at last week, talking about the temptation of Jesus. Remember, hey, y'all remember the temptation of Jesus last week? Give me a shout if you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Shout, shout, shout it out loud. Let's, let's get open, you feel me? Let me know if you remember, because... I wanted to kind of switch it up this time. Is that okay? That's okay? okay. We're going to switch it up this time a bit. So, growing up, I, I watched a lot of television, you know what I'm saying, the telly, uh, especially with my family. And there was always one show that I remember watching. And usually it came with some rich crackers for some reason. Uh, rich crackers and peanut butter, maybe some cheese. And uh, the show is called The Price is Right. Anybody remember that show? Yeah, the price is right. You know what I'm saying? Bob Barker on the cut, you feel me? They was trying to win and compete with prizes. Uh, contestants, they, if you're not familiar with contestants, they would enter the show competing for cash prizes, right, by guessing the retail price of different items. You know what I mean? So you would try to get iPhone 12. How much is an iPhone 12? They'd be trying to be like, uh, maybe 800, 900. Is that, that's probably off. It's probably more than that, right? But uh, overall, I always imagine, like the show gets you to do, I imagine myself on the show, you feel me, winning it big. And uh, that's, cause that's how you get roped in. You think of yourself getting all the earnings, maybe the luxury vacation trip. Sound nice, you feel me, the luxury vacation trip. And, and uh, as we post the text today, we're kind of picking up in that same kind of spot, right, thinking of enough with this framework of this game, right? It's a game that's going on. It's constantly going on, right? And we're going to contextualize this scene as parallel to the devil's working. He's playing with Jesus, this game called The Height is Right. Yeah, somebody say The Height is Right. I saw Sue out there clapping, you know what I'm saying? It's a game show. Go ahead, clap, you feel me? The Height is right. Come on down. You feel me? <laughs> so instead of price, height is going to be the determining factor in this journey. And we're going to realize each height comes with a price. And with us gathered here today as the audience of this show, of the text, the show off is going to be between the devil and Jesus. By the end of this episode, right, the end of this message, you will know when the height is right for your own life, based upon three things, three total, right? So we're going to jump in. 
Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city. This is after the temptation of the bread into the stones from last week. Jesus in the wilderness, right? So the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Right, so here we are, right after once again the previous temptation of Jesus. He's in the wilderness, right? He turned down this first low level of catching, turning stones into, into bread. And then he we see that he could catch the high early on that the devil shot from the hip, right? And Jesus refuted it with the word of God. But this time around is a little bit interesting. It says the devil took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem. And set him on the top of the temple. How many know sometimes the devil can take you up a level, okay? And give you a lift or promotion. But it may really be a test to see if it's going to change you. So this time the devil said, I bet if you got to live from every word that comes from the mouth of God, surely you can live by this one then, right? Because that's what it says. And verse 6 can seem a bit out of the blue. Like, first off, why don't you throw yourself down? You feel me? I mean... Personally, I'm scared of heights. So the main thing I would be trying to avoid would be throwing myself down up there. But it's to stress this condition. If, if Jesus is really God's son, wouldn't he protect him? Right? If he's really his child, isn't he trying to put Jesus in the role of, of someone that is loved by God? But this is real subtle that the devil is trying to get the roles to reverse, the positions to switch between Jesus being the role of the Father, right? Before in verse 1, it says, Matthew 4, 1, if that, yeah, Jesus was led up, shout out to Chris Mack, you feel me, holding it down. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? The devil's the one leading up to that height. And if Jesus was to flip the position to where he could test Yo, if God really is for me, then this could happen, right? And based upon how Jesus is feeling, this kind of would make sense. Remember, he's in the desert. He's kind of wilderness. He's kind of starving. He's hungry, right? He's still hungry. He's still feeling a bit like I need some type of sustenance. How many been there before, like, especially after serving God and being faithful, Amen. You feel like God might actually, in a sense, owe you something for what you're doing. Or you deserve certain things when you feel like it's best. Because there are promises in the word, but it's not always on our timeline, right? Uh-oh. Hope I'm stepping on some toes, you feel me? Like, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, right? We want God to work when we want him to work. But at times, we can try to handcuff God to act on our behalf, especially when we are at new heights, right? He's at a new height at this point in the story, and Jesus is still hungry. But how come it seems like when the word gives us entitlement to say, God, if I'm your child, you should do something that I think or I feel 
is in line with your character, right? You ever heard that? I feel like God would, I think God would like, it's, it's kind of subtle the way it can creep in and just our assumptions about God versus what is his purpose and will that stand? So what the devil was doing here, right, was trying to place himself in God's spot by getting us to believe we could be God, right? And this is the same thing he's been doing ever since the garden. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, ain't nothing new under the sun, boy. You feel me? Now, the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But, guess this, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? He said, did God really say? And he was trying to get them to look at the, under, the underlying meaning. How many try to like, I know it says this, but uh, could it be this? You feel me? All along, though, the devil's ultimate desire was for God's spot. He didn't want, you know what I'm saying, Adam and Eve to have God's spot. He don't care about them. You feel me? He wanted that. But he was using that vision in position of a new height to entice. And that God might actually be the one that was hiding something. How many feel like that sometimes? I feel like, God, are you holding back something for me? From me, excuse me. Is that the reason why I'm not, I'm not getting what I want? How many people ever feel like that in the building today? I, hey, hey, look, I felt like that plenty of times. And you may not have heard about this, but there's, there's a debate going on today, actually, too, about this thing called critical race theory. Amen? Anybody heard of that? And the opposing sides of, of what the church may, may feel. But I'm actually, honestly, really grateful for the work done by a lot of these scholars because they have began to expose certain injustices in our current American society on a higher, more widespread, mainstream level, right? Essentially, what a lot of black people have been saying for ages, to be honest, uh, but it's now in more academic terms, you feel me? Uh, but because of a large failure on the part of the body in America to acknowledge these, these gaps and disparities or turn a blind eye, like there's this skeptical posture that's, that's happened in the past towards these injustices. And a lot of people have gone through processes of what, what may, many call deconstruction, right? Anybody heard of deconstructing the faith recently? That's, that's been common. And it's this process of questioning every leader you sat under, right? Every teaching you've had, authors you've read based upon several factors like race, gender, and class. And a lot of this, to be honest, is really long overdue. But a real issue and present danger that lies alongside of this process of deconstruction is the actual presence of Satan that wants to speak to your hunger. Right. And not actually believe the words of God in the Bible as truth and valid. Or maybe did God really say this? 
and the new heights that we have seen also as society and civilization with thought, technology, science, all that, in contrast to these seem to be reason to question these ideas and thoughts of Scripture as being practical or authoritative and can diminish our perception of the goodness of God's word unless it can be tested and ruled by our own understanding of the times we live. All right. So ultimately, it's, it's the perfect trap the devil continues to lay out there for us. Getting Jesus to question his relationship with God based upon testing God's word. But what do we see from Jesus? Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. The height is right. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Right? The devil may have taken him to that height, but Jesus knew enough about the word, right, to know this application of the text would cause him to test God or misuse God's word. Notice that the height is right based upon the word. The word is the product in this game. If Jesus would have literally fell from this height, he would prove to not be in step with the relationship to his father. But he knew he was his son. And similar to the game, so once you start watching long enough and living by the word, you begin to pick up on certain patterns, right? And prices are high. There was nothing wrong with the height Jesus was at, but he needed the word for this new level the devil would take him to. How many know you need the word for new levels? New levels, new devils, right? I might say that twice fast. New levels, new devils, new levels, new devils. <laughs> Oof, that's a bar. Look, all right. Next up, though, we see the, the, the final round, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 9. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, Pete, this says very high mountain, right? This is the tippy top where Jesus saw everything. And it was probably a dope picture, right? Anybody been on a skyscraper before or on a high mountain? You just see everything. You see the city lights. You see the people. They look like little ants. You're like, dang, you look like ant. You feel me? You're like, dang, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling big. Yeah, that's why we love the kids, you feel me? That's why we love the kids. But I think it's important to note that when you're at these new heights, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the height, right? We can't get this mentioned. There's nothing wrong with heights. But there's, there's certain cliffs you can fall off of, right? Like I said, I'm afraid of heights. When I'm in a skyscraper, I'm like, is this secure, right? You testing the ground. Ooh, you feel me? And the thing is, there's two common cliffs that we can fall off of when we're at new heights. Right? Two very common cliffs. I want to take y'all through these two cliffs so that you can know for your own life when the height is right. You feel me? When the height is right. So the first cliff I want to prevent you from falling off of when you're guessing if the height is right is called materialism. Might say materialism. Materialism. The tests 
was if Jesus was going to fall off this next cliff that gets the majority of people, mainly in the, the space that we live in, like it's, materialism is this tendency to consider our own possessions, our physical comforts as more important, right, more important than spiritual values and ultimately the opposite cliff, right? This is, this is largely the heart of the temptation that Jesus was facing as he was trying to guess, all right, is the height right? And in this case, what is his answer? Matthew chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Right? It's a yikes for me. Jesus couldn't fall off this cliff because even though these were all good things, right, these were all good things, it placed more value on the comfort from gaining these blessings through a means outside of God, too, rather than undergoing the process of suffering that was ahead of Jesus. He knew there was a process that it would take, and it demanded a hype response because of the end part, right? If all these I will give, if you will worship me. He understood how easy it is to chase after these things, though, right? How many know, like, I just got AT&T installed in my apartment, you feel me? And uh, you know those little end-user agreements that they have that, that gets you? They're like, yeah, go ahead, sign this, you feel me? Anybody read those through? Yeah, didn't think so. You read those through? Okay, well, that's the, you a lawyer, though, right? You got to read the terms, you feel me? So, hey, look, God bless you. The majority of us, we signing our souls away. They can say, hey, you got to eat two pig's feet. You got to throw in a witch's eyeball. And I'll be like, hey, look, hey, maybe it's a metaphor, you feel me? <laughs> but the majority of us, we signing away really quickly. We quick to sign away when we see the end result. Okay, I want to get internet. Let me sign this up. I want to get a new account. Sign up real quick. I don't read. I don't want to read that stuff. But in reality, that's how materialism is a lot of times around us. Right? We're shown the kingdoms. We're shown the the value, the comforts of things, but not the end user agreement. And specifically for our situations. Right. Not all these things are bad, but maybe you shouldn't be signing up for this at this point in time. Maybe you should have went with Xfinity. I don't know. You know what I mean? But in reality, the Bible, it gives way more warnings against riches than it does poverty. Amen. And we see that later in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 24. And behold, a man came up to him saying, This is to Jesus. Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you will enter life, keep the commandments. Simple enough, right? He said to him, which ones? You feel (laughs) Like, what, dog? Look, and Jesus said, you shall not murder. He like, I bet. You shall not commit adultery. Check right there. You feel me? You shall not steal. 
You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, ah, perfect. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, now listen, how come he didn't say this in the other commandments? This was specific to this man. Jesus said to him, if you will be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty, only with difficulty, Will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven? Again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A camel through the eye of a needle. Some people debate this was like a, a, a gate that it was trying to go through and camels were bigger during that time. Possibly, but at the same time, the metaphor is crazy. It's difficult. Either way, you skin the cat, right? You can't explain it away. Jesus' heart is saying it may not be necessary for everyone to sell other possessions to get eternal life, but Jesus knows your heart. He knows what it's clinging to, right? His heart was, this man's heart was intent on serving his possessions and investments, and he would not be able to let it go over Jesus. He would choose to serve what he saw and sign away the agreement. And then we see this again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. I'm just trying to show you all the patterns of the word. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin, plunge and destruction. Probably not the plunger, but you know what I'm saying. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Right? Here it's leading to senseless and harmful desires, destruction, plunging you into it, you feel me? Even to the point that people left the faith. They wandered away from the faith because of this desire, right? So this is a very real cliff, especially here. Like I'm saying, especially here, we usually have an excess of things. We have to be thinking about this cliff very often because we have so many resources. Even, even people that are in the lower, you know what I'm saying, classes of this society of America, we still have a degree of accessibility, right? So we always have to be thinking, depending upon our culture, these words of Jesus that is warning us, yo, this is a very real trap that they're going to continue to sell to you too. They're going to tell you, you want financial freedom? Join <laughs> Primerica. <laughs> you want you want to be rich? Trade 4X, you feel me? They show you that, y'all seen this Ty Lopez, you know what I'm saying, little ad? I just, I got this Lamborghini in my garage. I got all these books, you feel me? But I don't even read them, you feel me? I just skim them, you feel me? Not to clap, there are legit ways of entrepreneurship and advancement. 
But we're constantly being bombarded with desire, desire this, desire this freedom, desire this advancement, right? Don't you want to spend more time with your family? You need to buy this program. You feel me? <laughs> like, what? Can I just spend time with my family? Like, we understand they're trying to say you get more time, but at this, the root of it is to get you to buy into that lie consistently that these desires for riches will give you what you need. Right? And this is a cliff that we have to always be aware of. But the second cliff, right, it's a little bit less common in culture, but at the same time, very common in church culture. And it's called asceticism. Somebody say asceticism. I set a system. I set a system. I have to use that in a bar. Yeah, so asceticism, right, is essentially the practice of extreme self-denial, primarily rooted in the belief that the material world is evil, right? That things, things will try to take you down. And here we see that the heights Jesus was taken to in our original text in Matthew, right? He was taken to the holy city, right? But that wasn't criticized by Jesus. And in second, we'll see that this mountain height isn't either. He doesn't say that the, the kingdoms of the world and their glories is necessarily bad. But it can be common for us to view strict and severe discipline and self-denial as making you more spiritual and more holy. But the Bible actually warns against taking such a view, too, in passages like Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, right? I'm just trying to show you all the patterns that's going on from the word that, so that we won't fall off these cliffs. Let no one disqualify you insisting on, right, asceticism. Somebody say that, on asceticism. And worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. That's Jesus from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. He's trying to reaffirm that the material is good, like the body is not evil. Let me jump to the next. If, if with Christ you died, yeah, much love, homie. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Unless it's hot, don't touch it. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have, right, indeed, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Still of no value in stopping the end. Wow, that's crazy, right? You work so hard, you fast. How many people took social media fast, right? Then you're back on, waking up in the morning. Okay, what you know saying? It's happened to me plenty of times. And shout out to cats like Damien, right? He in the CrossFit game, you feel me? Other people that focus on nutrition in healthy ways. But often a scene like this can be misconstrued to think that the devil is taking Jesus to a mountaintop that is sinful. This was actually Satan's temporary domain, and he could give this all to Jesus. But... 
This is actually what Jesus would get. It was affirmed in God's word. Anyways, Colossians chapter 1, 16. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Then in verse 17. Oh, I know verse 17. <laughs> hey, it's all love. Oh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there you go. You know what I'm saying? For by him all things were created. <laughs> in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he wasn't showing him anything that wasn't ultimately going to be his. He was just telling him, you got to take a different path to get. He was giving him with the the end user agreement. So this probably leaves you, though, like, all right, bet. I mean, that's still for Jesus. When he knew the height was right. But what what does that mean for me? Like when we're up as contestants in this game, we can feel like, I don't know what to do. We can get played to the left and to the right by asceticism, by materialism, and constantly, I'm guessing, are we, are we falling off? Are we, on the, are we on the going off the deep end? How do we know which height is right? How do we know when we're being too greedy? How do we know when we're, we're, we're enforcing upon people this rigid, strict way of life? How do, how do we know how to walk that line? And the third way I want to propose to you as a solution is Jesusism. <laughs> Somebody say Jesusism. Now, actually, if you Google this, don't follow the one without the dash. <laughs> I learned that the one without the dash is saying that people didn't believe in Paul's teaching that they were against Jesus. So Jesusism and Paulism is like this thing. It's like, it's kind of, it's, it's not super popular, but just keep the dash in there when you talk to people about this. I'm not promoting that other thing. You feel me? We don't mess with them over there. I just had to get that disclaimer. But I like to take this third way to climb of Jesusism as a model from this, this guy named Ted Slauson. Somebody say Ted Slauson. Right? Slauson. Slauson. Ted Slauson, right? If y'all, don't, y'all not hip to Ted Slauson? Wow, hey, I'm going to put y'all on game there. Look, Ted Slauson. He was an audience member and a longtime fan of the show, The Price is Right. And he actually determined the exact prices after having frequently watched and noticing which items kept popping up, and he would use statistical analysis too. And he shared this knowledge with Linda Neese, who is the wife of a contestant on the show. And she signaled the total to her husband when she was in, when he was a contestant on stage. And he said it was 23,456. And then they won that item. Then they won the show. And then they discontinued stuff. Because they was like, yo. He figured out the game. He figured out the part. He because he, he, he was so invested in the show, he knew what was coming. They said, "All right, bet. Look, 
We got to switch things up. We got to shake things up. You feel me? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So what do I mean? Like, should, should we cheat the game? Should we cheat? That's not what I'm advocating for. The point is, Ted Slauson spent so much time watching the show, he began to notice the patterns. Right? He noticed the patterns of pricing, which items would come and win to, to where it was second nature to just know the seasons and times he was in. And this is actually what we need for our own climb to know when the height is right. The third way is Jesusism, looking to Jesus and his example with whatever position you find yourself in to determine if the height is right. Sometimes we we legit feel like we don't know God's will and we don't want to fall off those cliffs. Like nobody really wants to fall off a cliff, right? Of being overly spiritual, suffering unnecessarily like like asceticism will demand. But other times, more often in our context, that danger of materialism can be ever present with the excess of material goods and resources we have in this land, right? I think about... um, Shout out to my fiance, you feel me? Shout out to my baby in the building that made it out here today. Ashley drove me up. Laura Jurassic in the back. Woo! She, uh, but she recently got a job position, amen? Somebody got a clap, hand clap. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Hey, you did. But originally, the offer on the table was a bit lower salary than she was hoping for. And that we was budgeting, looking to budget with. Although this job seemed like it would be a good fit. A real question that came up, should, should she still take the job? Even if it was below the expectation and norm for recent grads and be content, right? Or should she keep searching for more and walk if she didn't receive the amount that we asked for? And we spent some time praying for it, right? And really thinking, right? She didn't necessarily get into social work to, you know what I'm saying, climb the corporate ladder and make big money, you feel me? It's not huge money in social work. But we consider the factor of social injustice, too, that, that, that women tend to get less, right? And starting out at Laura Shiley could affect her long-time earning capabilities and, and career because people typically ask what your most recent pay was. But a real combo that also had to happen was what is the motive for the race and should this be the main motivating factor behind decisions if it seems like a good fit? And... You know what I'm saying? We prayed, and I was encouraged by her boldness, right, to say, I'm going to trust God regardless. We actually still ask for the amount, but trust God with the results if this is his will. And in turn, guess what? They met her in the middle with the salary. Woo! You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But... That's not to say that's always going to be the case, right? But the ever-present cliffs that are begging for the fall is asceticism, saying not to even ask or unnecessarily deny yourself what may be a good thing. Or materialism, which would be to determine the worth of opportunity solely based upon money. Right? The third way that is crucial for our lives as we're journeying to figure out if the height is right is to take the position of Ted Slauson which is to be an audience member of the word of God. And Jesus is his word. That's why it's called Jesusism. But once we begin to pray with frequency, right, once we begin to read the word, be in community with other believers, we'll be able to know the rhythms of life 
and the cliffs that Satan may tempt us to jump off of depending on our situations. Right. Maybe you're at the height of a lot of disposable income or excess, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But you start getting involved in, in the church and local bodies, and you learn of dope missionaries like Ebony Wilson. You feel me? Yeah, yeah, going on staff with impact here, raising support to serve with impact. And it may require you to take a book from the page of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need, right? So looking at Jesus and people from his word, you are forced to realize your possessions aren't your own, and you must share with those that may have needs. None of it is your own. And that requires letting go of that mainstream idea of materialism that says, I've worked hard for this. I've spent generations maybe rising out of poverty. I've spent time looking at the, the, legal, the legal benefits towards, you know what I'm saying, leaving the will, term life insurance, stuff like that. All these things that, that, that may not be bad in and of themselves, but can get us to start thinking everything that we have is our own. But that our, our time and our money is ultimately for the good of those around us and the glory of Jesus. But then there's that other cliff of asceticism, right, that's ever-present you can fall from, which Josh actually references this often, right? That even in Acts, right, the believers still met in homes, so they weren't all homeless. <laughs> you dig? Not everybody sold their home. It reminds me of this, this book I've been reading recently called A Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Amazing book where uh, he, he gives an example of the missionaries of charity founded by Mother Teresa doing amazing work, right? Crazy, modest, powerful work. But there was an instance a decision was made to take out the carpet and hot water hookup to downgrade this facility. And the question was bad, couldn't the hot water have been helpful for caring for the sick? Right? And the carpet that helped keep the building warm bring comfort to the suffering. And then there's also monks that, that he mentioned that deny themselves of food outside of bread and cold water, a rigid disdain for material comforts. This other pendulum that we can swing to to say these people, this, this is what makes you spiritual. This is what makes you holy saying none of this stuff is good and I don't want to partake of it. But we got to consistently check our hearts and look back at the simplicity with which Jesus lived. He's the model. He didn't own much, right? But we see he also was involved in the celebrations of his time. And we can see the controversy he strikes with the paradoxical way of life in John chapter 12, Verses 3 through 8. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Somebody say nard. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, 
one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always will have with you, but you do not always have me. Amen. Jesus is the prize. He actually doesn't chastise Mary. And it's a lesson for people like me, though. Actually, right, I can be more financially tight, if I'm being honest. Right? It's a warning that we can use things and love people. We can use things and love people. We can use things to love people rather than love things and use people. On the surface, prior to those on the outside, it was real subtle, but Jesus, excuse me, Judas was actually using the poor as a cover-up for his own agenda to love more things. Sometimes even the acts that we do that may appear to love people may actually be just using them for our own agendas. But Mary saw a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to use her things to love the best person she could see, Jesus. How will we use our most expensive and time-consuming resources and moments to actually bless everybody like her perfume did? How will we let our pursuit of Jesus leave a sweet smell in people's nostrils rather than a bad taste in people's mouths that demand us never to enjoy life in people? How do you know the ropes? How do you know how to strike this balance? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? We have to constantly watch all 66 seasons in this book of the height is right to test what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And remember that when we do miss the mark, there's one contestant that is one at all. Jesus has already played for us, and guess what? The prize he claimed was the audience. So when we get up to the stand, we're never playing a losing game against the devil. When you're in Jesus, the good news is our life parallels Jesus. So when we go back to our original text in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, right? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The devil will eventually leave, right? And behold, angels will come and minister to us. We will rejoin Jesus in full glory. We'll have a feast of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen? This is the greater glory of why we deny these two cliffs of asceticism and materialism. Because of Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, 
And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Your denial is righteous deeds. Your love for others is righteous deeds. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. How many know there's nothing better than a big meal with people you love? All the insiders that you be having, the last, the giggling, you know what I'm saying? Filled to the brim, you know what I'm saying? It's peach cobbler, pumpkin pie, depending where we at, you feel me? And how many know your boy Rome is getting married in two weeks? <laughs> Woo! Hey, hey, how many know your boy Rome is getting married in two weeks to Laura? You know what I'm saying? I, I done grown, right? I done met my bride through this very body of City Hope. Praise God. I praise God for the church. I praise God for the church. Spent the past three years getting up to this very moment. I've been grinding out this job, working crazy eyes and hot with her and my mind, getting to, getting to this point of celebration, reframing and figuring out where we're going to stay, the type of life we're going to build, doing, doing some premarital counseling, right? Like thinking about the memories that we built from Dace on Sunshine Cafe to Ninja Japan. Right? And getting to know her heart and person she is. Thinking through the sacrifices that we're going to make and trying to take that seriously, that commitment and covenant. Right? But the, the, all the years we don't abstain from sex, you feel me? You know, your boy ready, mm, you know what I'm saying? Shoot the hoo you feel me? Feeling super ready. The excitement is there. It's unreal. It's building. We had this thing, and this building about to be jumping. But can you only imagine how Jesus... How Jesus, who laid his life down for his bride, feels when he reads a passage like that. Do you know how turned this man finna be? The life he lived on earth. The centuries he has been keeping his eye on his bride. What he's done for the church. The amount of suffering he endured to the point of death on the cross. This temptation from Satan. All that he did thinking about his church. He was treated like a criminal and tried for this love. We saw glimpses on earth with him celebrating with what people would call sinners and drunkards. But do you know how long Jesus has been waiting for this wedding feast? Everybody's going to be clowning. It's going to be ridiculous. That belly aching laugh, right? Laughing to the point of tears, but guess what? Every tear has been wiped away. You can't even do that. Whew. What glory lies ahead at that wedding. And this is the point of Jesusism, right? It's not denying that there is a greater feast by lessening our celebrations. That's why I had to draw that out. You know I'm finna be hype at that wedding, Right? We got to celebrate. We got to enjoy this life and use things to love people. But we got to cling to this hope and reality 
greater than anything in life. Because the height is right when Jesus is the prize. Let's pray. Thank you, God, 